So we're starting a new series today, Um, and it's an extension of our verse for the year. So I'm going to call it 2020. And uh, in 2020, I believe that the Holy Spirit would have us be a church that finds ourselves in the right place at the right time, ready to respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's at the heart of what I believe that the Lord wants to do with us this year. It's to allow us to be responsive to him, to be able to move to the places where God wants to move, where God wants to do something new, something special amongst the people of this area, to be able to perceive where that place is and to be able to begin to move so that we're in the right place at the right time when God is about to move. And so some of this comes from Ezekiel in chapter 1. And we looked at that on the first Sunday of January. And in this uh, Ezekiel 1 vision, you've got four beings, for those of you who weren't there, four beings um, that are coming out of this enormous storm cloud and a mighty wind that's coming towards Ezekiel. He has this incredible panoramic vision. And these four beings are are very strange beings. They each have uh, four wings one set of wings to cover their bodies and one set of wings stretched out touching each other. And they also each have four faces. Each one has the face of a man. Each one has the face of an eagle. Each one has the face of a lion. And each one has the face of an ox. And they are touching one another. So it looks a little bit like this, if this works. Okay. So we've got a human face facing one another. And then each of them have got the four faces and their wings, which is the purple bits, are touching one another. And they would move like lightning to and fro wherever the spirit was about to go. And Ezekiel 1.12 says, each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. So it's a bit of a strange vision, really, but it is a wonderful vision. And it's one that's worth unpacking. It's a picture of radical responsiveness to God. Wherever, to, to be in step with the Spirit and to be there at the right place at the right time means to, to be able to move with, um, with tremendous obedience, with a, a pre-agreed obedience with God. So that when the Holy Spirit gives you a nudge and says, I'm about to do something over there, we're already moving to go. Is radical obedience to God something you're interested in? I mean, that's one of the questions that it poses to me. Are you actually interested in being obedient to God to the extent that you're going to find yourself in the right place at the right time a lot this year? That's a challenge to me. There's been a lot of people that have gone before us who have learnt this this obedience to God. Anyone heard of Francis of Assisi? So there's, there's some great stories around Francis of Assisi. A lot of them are kind of shrouded in myth and legend. And you've got to kind of pick through and work out which bits are, uh, you want to believe. Because, you know, there's a lot of history that's gone bet- between now and then. But I love some of the stories. Uh, apparently one of his habits was to uh, stop and preach to birds and trees and fields. Um, and so the people that were traveling with Francis of Assisi, because he covered a lot of ground in his life, uh, would be like, oh, here he goes again. Francis has a message. And Francis would stand and he would preach to the hedge. Uh, and they would watch and they'd let him 
get it out of his system. But there was time and time and time again, legend has it, that somebody would be in earshot and that would then come out of the bushes, you know, streaming with tears, cut to the heart with what he had to say and say, how did you know? What you just said was exactly for me. What must I do to be saved? He was finding himself in the right place at the right time because he was willing to respond to the prompt and be radically obedient in the moment and just share whatever he had. There's a great scriptural example in um, Philip in Acts chapter 8. So Philip is in Jerusalem where everything's going on and the Holy Spirit is doing a great work and people in Jerusalem are being stirred up and people are finding faith in big numbers. And Philip feels like he has to go to Samaria to be amongst the Samaritans of all people, the enemies of the Jews. And so he goes to Samaria and just as he arrives, lo and behold, the Spirit begins to work in great power and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Samaritans turn to Christ. And God is doing a phenomenal thing right across that region. He finds himself in the middle of this major revival with even the, the, the heads of some of the pagan um, religion there turning to Christ. There's a guy called Simon Magus who was like a sorcerer. He came to Christ and wanted to know what this power was that was at work in the area. So Philip is there. The revival is kicking off. There's all these people that need teaching. They need to process what the Holy Spirit is doing amongst them. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go down to this random desert road in the middle of nowhere. So Philip turns to his friends and says, right, I'm going now. And they say, well, where are you going? And he said, a random desert road. And they'd be like, well, why on earth would you do that? Look at all that God is doing here. He says, just what I feel the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. So he gets up and he goes to this random desert road. And just as he get, gets there, the, somebody who's basically the prime minister of Ethiopia is just passing by on his chariot. And the Holy Spirit says, catch up with that chariot. So he uses his super speed and he catches up with the chariot. Uh, just as this Ethiopian official is reading the book of Isaiah... And then he just happens to be at the right place at the right time to watch the Holy Spirit just transform this guy's life. And he's baptized within hours. And then this guy takes the gospel to Africa. He's just in the right place at the right time, all the time. I love that. I absolutely love that. I believe this is something that God can teach us all. It's not just for the Philip, uh, uh, Philip the Evangelist. It's not just for Francis of Assisi. It can be for all people. There's a, a, a wonderful illustration of this in baseball. Anybody like baseball? I'm not a big baseball fan, but I did hear this once. That apparently some of the most gifted baseball players are able to position themselves on the field before the batsman strikes the ball. So some, some of the, 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 the best baseball players ever in history, they were, as the pitcher releases the ball, their feet are already moving to where the ball is about to be struck because they've developed through years of playing this game almost like a sixth sense of where it's about to go. So if you look at the timing and the, the, the footage, their feet are already moving in the direction of the ball so that they're in the right place at the right time to catch it. I believe that kind of sense is the sort of thing that we can develop as Christians to know where the Holy Spirit is about to strike. Does that make sense? we just got to be willing to cultivate that gift. And it's wonderful that when God moves us in this, in this way. 
I've got a, a, an example. It's, it's, it's a slightly um, irregular example of this gift, but um, I thought I'd share it with you. Well, this time last year, in February half term, we were on holiday in West Wales. And we were on this beautiful beach called Marlowe's. Anyone been to Marlowe's Beach? Oh, it's enormous. Absolutely enormous. And you've normally always got it to yourself because uh, people don't venture that far west for holiday for some reason. So it's, it's amazing. Big walk down to it, but then it just goes on for miles. But it's very tidal. So we went quite a long way around this beach. And the tide was coming in. And so we said, right, time to get off the beach because we had to walk around a number of sort of little coves to get back. So we, we set off and we were fine. And then there was, there was either a route across the rocks, which is quite tricky to walk with a two-year-old that we had at the time, um, or that you, if we might have just about made it to go around another one outcrop of rocks to get back. But the sea was coming in really quickly. And so I don't know about you, but I hate the smell of cooking wellies. When my kids get wet wellies, I have to dry them somehow. And the house that we were staying in didn't have any central heating. So I'd have had to rig up somewhere drying their wellies if their wellies got wet. So my vote naturally would be to go across the rocks and to get home uh, with dry wellies. Because I just don't like it when the house smells of burning rubber. But there was... <laughs> there was a, the, because it had a wood burner there and I'd have had to rig something up. But for, for some reason, on this day, at this time, knowing that if we try to get around that next outcrop of rocks, we were all going to get wet wellies, I said, come on, let's just go that way. And let's do it. Against my better nature, right? As we came around these rocks, we saw a family on the rocks. And the, it, was, it was a mum and dad and a son. And the son had Down syndrome. And he was clinging to the rocks for dear life. And you know how sometimes on the beach where there's a rock, a pool develops? Yeah? And it goes really deep next to the rock. Well, just on, on the outcrop that they were sat on, just the other side of where we could see, this huge deep pool had filled up with water. And this lad was terrified. And he had like an iron-like grip gripping onto the rocks. And his parents were really panicking because they could not get his hands off the rocks. And the tide was coming in really fast. So as we came around the corner, we saw this little family uh, struggling. They, they didn't ask for help, but you, we could see they were massively panicked. I had the good sense to pass on my iPhone before I went to help, um, which is very unlike me as well. That was the Holy Spirit. Um, so my family, who were on slightly higher ground at this point, and had a clear walk in on a sandbank to the beach, stood and held my stuff. Well, I went to help this family. And I'm not joking, it took three of us with all our might to pull each hand off the rock to then carry this lad out. And I was up to my chest at this point. And these guys weren't very tall. So they, mum and dad had to swim. And I could just about hold this lad. And he was a big boy. But I could just about get him off this rock, through this deep puddle and onto the sandbank so that we could all walk off. And literally, as we got to the, um, the sandbank and started walking, the sea was, was coming in faster than we could walk. And it was quick. By the time we got to the beach, we looked back at where those rocks were, and they, it was way under because it was coming in really quick. And we just got that off the beach, and I just thought, God, you are so good to this little family. I would never have normally gone around that side, but there was just something in me that says, come on, today we, let's do it. Today I was just prompted to go that way. And do you know what? I, I worked for Mencap, 
And then Robert Owen for four years, from 16 till about 20. So I've been working with learning disabilities for a huge chunk of my life. And I, it was, I just felt like all of that preparation, all of that, that ease with that particular people group um, came in in that moment. And I found it easy to help this family. I was ready. I was prepared. And I was also had the height to carry him out. I was the right man for the job. But you know what? You guys are all exactly the right person for the job. When God calls you to be in the right place at the right time, you have the unique skill set and the unique attitude and the unique history to be able to do wonderful things with God. And if you don't let him move you to the right place at the right time, there are consequences. We have an opportunity to be of great use in this world, in God's big plans. But we need to be movable. We need to let God take what we have and share it in all of these scenarios. It's about being led by the Spirit of God and being ready, ready to cooperate with God in the moment. Responsiveness to God's leading and readiness. We need both. So in Ezekiel 1 passage, the beings can move in any directions without turning as they went. They can advance with their man face, and go straight forward. They can advance with their eagle face and go straight forward. They can advance with their lion face or with their ox face on. All four faces are fully formed and ready to be deployed. And so they were darting to and fro in all directions like lightning, which shows they can switch direction and switch the face they're leading with at will. Are you with me? Okay. That's a beautiful depiction of having developed your Christianity. It's a beautiful description of mature Christianity, having to develop a spirituality that is alive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, a developed and easily presented human face, i.e. wisdom, kindness, compassion, joyful relatability, having developed an easily presented prophetic face, soaring with God in the secret place, able to hear his voice and to see from his perspective, being a believer who is developed and easily able to present a lion face. So we're able to take authority over the power of the enemy and to see justice restored in situations. And a developed and easily presented ox face. An ox-like inner strength that can keep going and going and going until the work of the Lord is done. It's a graphic picture of a mature and powerful Christianity. And I believe that if you have these qualities developed, there's nothing that God can't do with you. He can move you in any direction, in any moment, and you're going to be a choice kingdom agent wherever you go. You're going to be able to co cooperate with God in any scenario. So if you want to be more useful to God and have God open more fruitful opportunities for you in 2020, let him train you in these areas. So taking on one face at a time. This morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about the human face. So let me start with a question. Who helped you discover faith in Jesus? Why don't you turn in twos and just answer that question. Who helped you discover faith in Jesus?
Okay. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet discovered faith in Jesus, I volunteer to help you. Come and see me at the end. But how many of you would say that your relationship with that person was instrumental in the process of discovering faith for yourself? Hands? I just want you to see the hands. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit works through relationship so powerfully. We need people around us who are relatable, easy to relate to, but also who are willing to relate to us. When people come alongside us and they take an interest in us and share their faith with us, the Holy Spirit can begin to move. It's just fertile ground for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us. And I think that's how it was for nearly all of us. But doesn't that also put a tremendous opportunity into our hands to be that person for someone else? All of you are good people who know how to, how to get alongside others and to share a good word, to take interest in people, to meet them right where they are and to share the good news that God loves them, that God wants to bless them with a new, eternal, abundant life. We can do that, can't we? Some of us thinking, hmm, I think I, hmm, I sometimes find that difficult. It's not always easy. There are things that hinder us. There are things that make it difficult for us to share. But I believe these, there is nothing that makes it difficult that can't be overcome. We're going to be useful this year. We're going to allow God to train us in our spiritual relatability so that the Holy Spirit can do more in us and through us. Let Jesus demonstrate this wonderful human face for you. Turn to John chapter 4. Okay, so in John 4, we get this wonderful moment in the story of Jesus where a whole village t comes to faith. It's a mighty move of God in a village in Israel. Just imagine it's Ippelpen or Dipford or Harberton or Bridgetown or wherever it is that you live. An entire village suddenly moved to deep repentance and hungry for God. Worship erupts. And righteousness pours out. The poor are cared for. The crime levels disappear. People cancel their gambling and pornography subscriptions. And they bring their drugs out to burn them in public on a bonfire to the sound of rapturous praise. I mean, the whole nine yards. Complete transformation. Well, a village is transformed in that way in John chapter 4. How does this mighty work begin? Jesus sat down at a well and struck up a friendly conversation with a woman. Let's read it together. John 4 from verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. And Jesus himself did, didn't, but though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. There's Samaria again. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? But Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim, where where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have the kind of food you know nothing about. Jump down to uh, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Then they came out to see him, and they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, because, but because of what we have heard from him ourselves. 
now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. Love that passage. Big move of God. Unexpected. But aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit wants to move in power? And he often begins with a a very human, yet very spirit-led conversation. Jesus just found himself in the right place, at the right time, with the right message. And this conversation began with with, uh, the request for a drink of water. I mean, that's about as simple and as human as you can get, isn't it? Really straightforward, simple request. Yet it was significant because it wasn't expected. A rabbi isn't supposed to be talking to Samaritan women. And she points that out pretty quickly. She's quite a feisty sort. Jesus doesn't mess about. He understands this is someone the Holy Spirit longs to reach. And he drops the faith dynamic into the conversation right at the beginning. He says, do you know what? There's way more than you understand available right here, right now. He offers her living water. And I think this is something we can really learn from Jesus. It's not just about striking up conversations with strangers. It's not just about relating to people, whoever they are and wherever they are, and being relatable. Dropping that faith dynamic quite quickly into the conversation is so important if we want to be spiritually relatable. Sometimes we can go a long, long time before we come out as a Christian with people, can't we? Whatever your workplace is, they shouldn't find out three years in that you're a believer. Try, try and drop that conversation in early on, and it makes life so much easier. And it get, creates so much more room for the Holy Spirit to work. So this interaction lights a holy fire in the heart of this woman, and she carries it back to the village and then ignites faith from house to house. It was the Holy Spirit's pleasure to move in such power, but it began with Jesus at the right place, at the right time, willing and able to relate to someone from a different background. And I think the church needs to grasp this. The body of Christ needs to be very human and very relatable. When someone on this planet comes into contact with anyone in this church, it shouldn't matter if they've had five husbands or come from a different background or carrying baggage or prejudice about the church like this woman had. She had some hang-ups about how the Jews were operating. She had, she'd picked up some, some serious hang-ups about what was legitimate and who was accepted and, and what could happen and whether she was on the inside or the outside of God's purposes. And she, she had some angry baggage to deal with with Jesus. And it didn't, none of that mattered to Jesus. All that mattered was that Jesus had living water to give this woman. That's what Jesus stayed focused on. And that's the same living water that we have to dish out. We have this abundant life of the Holy Spirit to share with anybody who would come and receive it. We have to share it with them. It's the only place that they're going to get it from. People need to come to me for this living water. They need to come to you for this living water. And together we're going to lead the people to the fountain of life. Amen? That's how it's done. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So let's get practical. How can I work on developing my spiritual relatability this year? This is an area that I personally need to work on. I know that in some contexts, 
I, am, I find it easier to relate than others. Do you ever find that? Do you find that you can be in some circles and you can chat the gospel all day long? You can share your faith, you can encourage people, you can see people, um, you can share really easily. And then there are some contexts where you just feel shut down and you can't be yourself. It's a funny old thing. This is an area where I want to grow this year. So four things that we can do to grow in this area. First one, value before truth. When we feel valued and accepted and loved, we are way more open to receive truth. Is that true? If you're in someone's presence and you feel that they love you for who you are, they accept you for who you are, they're not trying to change you, they're not trying to judge you, but they put tremendous value upon your life and they, they've noticed you and they want to invest in you, you listen to that person. It's just how it is. You can't go up to someone that you don't have that, that value for and teach them anything. You can't share the gospel with someone who you're judging or who feels a lack of value from you. And you know what? People don't necessarily pick up your value of them by what you say. They pick it up between the lines. They pick up the spirit that you're coming with. And actually, it is the spirit that you're coming with. It is the value that you place upon people that opens the heart to be able to share something deeper. So we've got to put value before truth. I've already touched in on this one. Drop the faith dynamic. Steer any conversation round to faith in Jesus. If this is who we are, if this is what actually makes us tick, if this is what is the most precious thing we have in our lives, then we need to share it. And we need to not wait three or four years to share it. It's not offensive. It's you being you. It's you being open. It's you sharing something good that God has done in your heart that week. Or it's you uh, sharing God's perspective on an issue. But actually, it is a discipline to try and drop the faith dynamic early on in a relationship. It's really easy just to sort of hide your light for as long as you can until you feel like you're forced out. It's a discipline. Um, But it changes the relationship from the outset. And it creates possibility where before there wouldn't have been. Number three, pray for divine appointments. Have you ever, in the morning, with God, said, God, would you send me someone today who I can share the gospel with? you ever done that? Hands? Don't worry if you haven't. Don't feel bad. That's what 2020 is all about. It makes a massive difference to your day. I went through a whole season of asking God to give me divine appointments, and day after day after day, I would meet someone or I'd spot someone, and God would, and my heart would begin to go. My my internal Holy Spirit alarm clock would go off, and I would I would notice them. I would just sort of fixate upon someone for some reason, and you feel like God's saying, "That's the one I want you to talk to today." And lo and behold, if you go and talk to that person, you say, "How are you doing?" Strike up a conversation. It is amazing how quickly and how easy it is to share the gospel with that person because they are already prepared and highlighted by God. And I had some great conversations in that season and led a lot of people to the Lord. And then I stopped doing it for some reason. Life happened. Other priorities came in. And I just stopped doing it. And I suddenly thought, why aren't I noticing people like I was before? And it's because I wasn't praying for it. I wasn't praying for those divine appointments. 
It's a funny thing. Your eyes change when you pray that prayer. You can walk past, you can walk past someone that you've been walking past for years and suddenly you see them. Because there's something going on in your spirit that is waking you up to what God is doing. Seriously, if you want different eyes to be able to see what God is about to do, you've got to pray for it. And you've got to make yourself available. But it is, it is wonderful, the difference that makes. I think it might have even been that way in um, another bit, a great bit of the book of Acts that we looked at the other night when we did our cap prayer meeting, where Peter and John are going into the temple. And they go, and they go going through Gate Beautiful, and they see the lame man at, at the gate. How many times must they have gone through that gate and gone walked past that guy? They've been going in and out of the temple for years with Jesus. And that, it says in the scriptures that that was the place he used to like to sit and beg. That was the place where everybody knew him from. He's the guy from the beautiful gate that can't walk. So Jesus and the disciples have walked past this guy for years and not seen him. And then it says in the passage, when, it, when he gets healed, it says, they fixed their eyes upon him. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in Jesus' name. Get up and walk. And the man's ankles were strengthened, and he got up and began leaping and praising God. Okay? What was the difference? The Holy Spirit got their attention on that moment, on that day, with that guy, and they just saw him for the first time. You've got people in your life that you walk past every day, and you don't see them. But with the help of God, you can see them for the first time, with something from the Holy Spirit that God is about to do. And you, faith rises, and then the possibilities are completely different because God is about to do something great. So pray for divine appointments. That's number three. And finally, set your goal. Set your goal. This is one of those things that can be like a, a diet in January. You all know what I'm talking about. Or that gym membership that was so exciting in January and by March, you're thinking, should have cancelled it in February. <laughs> you know? It can be like that with our spiritual life, can't it? We start out on a new journey with good intentions, and then somewhere along the year, we think, what happened to that? The year started so well. I was so focused. But you know what? If we can set our goal to be people who are growing with relatability for the sake of the kingdom of God, Believing that God is going to use this new, growing, developing, related, spiritual relatability to put me in the right place at the right time and to see God do powerful things. It's worth it, right? So let's set our goal now and then let's check in on it throughout the year. Let's come back to this in March. Let's come back to this in June. Let's come back to this later on in the year and think, how am I doing? Am I developing in this area? Do I need to pray that God is going to keep growing me and growing me? And do you know what? My personal goal is to see that I've grown a bit in this area by Bright Festival. I want to be able to chat with the public, with anybody and everybody that comes down, knowing that there is a fresh grace at work in my life to be able to share my faith and to see the Holy Spirit do something wonderful. Anybody want to join me in that? It's coming up. It's going to be great. Let me pray for you.